encouraging people to be part of small groups and, and uh, getting together and, and growing together, uh, I, as I took up my own challenge and decided I would join some small, a small group as well, and I decided to, to join two. And I mentioned that. I would encourage you to do it as well. It's been an incredible, incredible uh, learning and growing experience uh, as well. So Monday nights, we get together with a bunch of people here, and we have a whole bunch of small groups that are learning how to study the Bible, which has been pretty cool. And then on, on Wednesday nights, I join this other group in Simcoe where we just kind of sit around, we talk about life, and we reflect on where we've seen God at work in our lives and encourage one another to uh, live out our faith. And both have been good. Uh, both have different parts, and uh, just, it's just been good. So, but one of the things that uh, I realized as I was in these small group thing is the questions that are in people's minds that you just don't get to ask here on like Sunday mornings. You know, we don't stop the service because you have a question. You're like, uh, what did that mean? But in our groups, we have the chance to ask those questions, and some of the questions have been incredible, and um, some of them kind of eye-opening for me. There's some that, uh, you know, where some of the questions that have come up um, uh, throughout the last couple of weeks is things like this. Why is the Bible so difficult to understand? You know, you talk about it and it makes sense, but when I read it, it doesn't mean anything. You know, and it's, it's questions like that or, you know, what, what, uh, how do I really know what God wants me to do? Like, I just, I just don't know. You talk about it, but I don't know. Like, I, I read, I just, I just don't get it. Uh, and some, you know, have brought up this question. You know, what's God really like? Because now that I'm reading the Bible, I'm like, I'm reading Jonah, and he seems like he's, like, cruel. He wants to wipe out everybody. On Sundays, you say God is loving, and he loves every, but he wants to kill a whole nation. Like, what is he? Is he gracious, or is he cruel? Is he, is he kind and compassionate, or is he like the judge? And you're, it's confusing a little bit. And so in the last, uh, in the last couple of uh, weeks, we've been encouraging um, people to, to bust this thing out a, a little bit more and to take a look inside. But sometimes when you, you kind of hear about the Bible and, and reading the Bible, it's like this huge thing. You feel like the Bible is like this just massive weighty book. Like it's so many pages. It's so thick. You know, it's not C-spot run or whatever. You know, books you could like, I could read that. It's like this massive, massive undertaking. You're like, I, I just don't know. I'll just, you know, forget it. I'll let someone else kind of tell me what's in there. What I've learned is that there's many who have never really figured out how to open this thing for themselves or to understand truth for themselves. And I kind of want to talk about that this morning again, just to encourage uh, people in this place to, uh, to again, think about and maybe be inspired to say, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this again. I'm going to take a look in there again. Uh, the Bible is an amazing, amazing, life-changing book. And uh, for some, you're like, well, I don't know. I don't see amazing. I don't know about life changing when I read it. And so I wanted to take a look kind of at the overview of the Bible this morning, just to kind of help you if, if you're cracking it open, where it is that you're, what you're looking at, what you're reading, and, and who it was meant for. So normally, I don't do like teacher mode. Normally, I'm like, hey, class, take notes. I don't normally do that. But this morning, there's just going to be so many things you're like, oh, I got to ask a question about that. And I would encourage you, grab your bulletin, make use of it for something other than not reading the announcements in it and always calling me to ask what's already in there. Just write down some notes and some thoughts of some of the things that uh, kind of grab your heart this morning and you can take a look at them again later. So let's talk about this amazing book. Well, to start, this thing was not originally written as a book. It wasn't written as one book. It was a collection of songs, some sermons. There were some letters, some historical records, some journals even. Ended up all together in this book. It was written over a period of 1,500 years. 
That's more than one guy lives. Well, that's the thing is it was written by multiple authors. Lots of different people wrote, uh, wrote portions of this. It was uh, written on three different continents. And the authors included people like this, fishermen, a cupbearer for a king. Some shepherds wrote in there. Some farmers wrote in there. Uh, now some are intrigued. What? Really? Oh, cool. Some teachers, some tax collectors, a doctor. So there's some really uh, you know, in-depth stuff. Some poets, some kings. Some preachers and some prisoners actually wrote much of what you see in this, in this book. It was originally written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. How many of you speak all three? How many of you speak any of the three? See, now that's a problem, right? If it was written in this language and, and we can't read it, it's like, oh, but some of you read it like, yeah, it's all Greek to me, uh, even though it's in English. But this book, this, this book contains stories about war and peace, about romance, about suspense, Family struggles, mystery, murder. Talks about kings and princes, prophets, about births and deaths, about money, lots about money, lots about poverty too. About spies and traitors. You're like, really? You got to open the Bible. It's just interesting stuff. There's some bullies in there. There's some friends. There's enemies. There's heroes. There's adultery. And then there's forgiveness. There's hope and love and hate and there's sinners and a savior. And there's all of these topics and things that, that, that are, are found as you read through the Bible, it contains different types of writing. Poetry, you know, if you're into poetry, prophecy, history, sermons, love stories, personal, public letters. It contains every element of the human condition. But yet, it's a single story as well. Even though it's all of those things, it's one story talking about paradise lost in Genesis, lost in the beginning, something good, and then restored in the end through, uh, through the, the book of Revelation at the very end. And in every one of the books, there's a message of hope. There's a message of hope about the, the, the sacrifice uh, of, of uh, the Son of God, of Jesus, His blood and His sacrifice that actually means something for us today, that He restores friendship with God for you and for me. That message of hope can be found throughout all of, throughout all of the Bible. And you're like, what? You know, I read it, I, I don't see it. My job, you know, is, is to help equip people to understand, to learn how to, to read the Word of God and understand it for themselves. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Did you realize that the Bible, it's the number one best-selling book of all time? They figure that about 5 billion copies of it have been sold, and it's also the most read. You notice some of the other books on here? How many of you read some of the other books? You know, The Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, no hands, please. I don't want to judge you this morning. Um, Gone with the Wind, you know, Think and Grow Rich, uh, The Diary of Anne Frank, The Da Vinci Code. There's some, some interesting books, but as you notice, you know, the, that by far the Bible has been the most, the most read, most purchased book of all time. There's more manuscripts the ancient, you know, the old uh, papyrus and like wood and all the different carvings uh, uh, and ways that they, that they uh, initially wrote out the Bible, the scrolls. There's more copies of that than any other ancient book by, by thousands of times, just showing as, as it's been copied and written over and over that it remains accurate and remains true. It's also one of the most misquoted books of all time. I don't know if you know this, but God helps those who help themselves. They couldn't find the reference because it's not in there. Ah, uh, oh, okay, confession. That's good. We like that. Um, that mic is on in the back, by the way. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, things like this, like money, it's the root of all evil. That's uh, not really in the Bible. Judge not, lest ye be judged. In the Bible, but not used the way that it is. Not, the, not used the way that we've seen it. And if people, you know, if they've tried to make this, make this book, make the Bible say what they want it to say, 
for years and for centuries. This, this book has been used to, um, to spread hate and to start wars. You know, if you think about the, you know, starting wars against other religions. You know, if you, if you read about the Crusaders, they would, they would just, they would attack and kill because you didn't believe the same as me. And then in Canada, we do the same thing, but because we're Canadian, we don't really attack or kill. We just decide we're just not going to go to that church anymore. We're just going to build another one right next door. And so we've got all these denominations, all this division, um, because people have spread, you know, the uh, hate based on this book. You're like, man, it, it shouldn't be that way. People have used it to control other people. You know, it's like the idea of, I'm the, you know, I'm the important one. I know the truth. Just do as I say so you don't go to hell. And people thought, hmm. You know, Andy Stanley said it this way, that there's, you know, so often with religion, including Christianity, which isn't really a religion in its purest sense, but that idea of sacred men meeting in a sacred place, having sacred texts, and we're the only ones who know what it means. And you, sheeple, just have to believe what I say so you don't go to hell. And it's like this idea of, you know, just do what I say and it will all be good for you. We're not like that here. I don't want you to be like that here. I want you to be like, you know, I don't know if Mark's telling the truth. You know, I'm taking notes because I'm going home. I'm Googling this. I'm going to find out, not Wikipedia, but Googling this to find out if he's telling the truth. I'm going to look it up. In the, you know, is that really in the Bible? Is that really what it means? I want to encourage you and challenge you with that. You know why? Because Jesus said the same thing. He said the same thing to his followers. He said, you know, as followers of me, I want you to remain in my word. That wasn't just for those 12 guys. That was for us. If we say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, he's like, I want you to remain in this. I want, you to, I want this to be in you, that the word of God is on the inside of you because it can change your life from the inside out. Paul, who was a follower of Jesus, who wrote much of the New Testament, he had a crazy past and story. You can read about it sometime. But Paul, he encouraged this young guy named Timothy who was, who was kind of a follower of Paul, who was following Jesus. And he said to Timothy, he says, Timothy, I want you to study this word. I want you to study the scripture. Study it well so that you can properly and correctly explain it to others. He said, I don't want you to, I don't want you to like get lost in what's uh, being said. And it's something that I want to encourage you as well. There's this group called the Bereans, Paul. Paul, who wrote the Bible, Paul, he went to this, this place called Berea, and he's talking to them, and they were like, uh, yeah, you might be, you know, Paul, but we're going to check this out ourselves. We're going to look through the scripture ourselves and see what you're telling us is true, and he commends them. And I would want to encourage the same thing for you. They say, hey, you know what? I am going to check this thing out. I want to find out because it's my life that, that is going to be a, a, a result, a, um, a consequence or a, a good consequence of what I've allowed inside, what I've, I've allowed myself to believe, what I've allowed myself to be taught. And so I want to encourage you. And sometimes it's like I go back to that spot where like, yeah, but it's hard. Sure, Mark, go, you know, check out the Bible for myself. But I do, and I just, I don't know where to start. So I want to try and help you this morning. If that's you, here's a few things that can help you to discover truth for yourself. If you're in our, if you're in our Monday night study group, there's three words that we talk about all the time. Does anybody remember the first one? Observation. Close. Precept, yes, we talk about that as well. Observation. Observation. What does it actually say? As you're reading through the Bible, it's reading saying, okay, what does it actually say? What, uh, just looking at it and reading it and saying, ah, okay, here's what it says. The second one, anybody know? Interpretation. What does it mean? Because the Bible actually has one truth in every verse that that's the one truth. 
You know, it's not one of those things where you just read like, ah, I wonder what it means to me, or this is what I think it means. It's figuring out what does it really mean. And then once you've figured out what it means, when you've, you know, you've taken a look at it, you've taken some time to just figure out what it means, it's this idea of application, this idea of how do I apply the truth that I've learned to my life? How do I apply it to my life? So I want to talk about those th three things real quickly this morning. Number one is observation. What's it actually saying? You know, who wrote this thing? Who'd they write it to? When? Where? As you look at the, as you look at the Bible, you're like, oh, you know, it's kind of, it seems kind of like big. And sometimes people just kind of flip open. And it's like, I don't know how to read the Bible. Um, a couple, couple thoughts. The Bible that you've been given, that you have, if you've got it in book form or online, it all comes together. It's all like, you know, neatly, neatly packaged in this like leather or whatever, pleather if you're a Dutch, whatever it is that you've got, this, this, this uh, cover, it's all there. It wasn't written like that. It wasn't written um, in that same way, nor is what you have in chronological order. Normally, you get a book, and you start at the beginning. And so for many of you, you've opened the book, you're like, I'm going to read from the beginning. And you get a few chapters in, and you read names you can't understand, and you're like, that, what's a begat, you know? And you're like, I don't know. I just, ugh, I give up. I, I, I don't know what Mark sees in this, but I don't. And so you're like, I don't, I don't know. But the idea is to think about it like this, that these were all individual letters and documents, historical things that were all written. Picture the Bible instead as being, let's say, a box. A box over here with a whole bunch of letters in it. We call it the Old Testament. And then there was another box with a whole bunch of letters in it, like the New Testament. Back in the day, there was pen pals. They don't do that anymore with email. But you know when you got letters back and forth and you kind of save them so you could read later on, especially if you had like a, like a love interest on the other end and you kind of kept those letters? This, this is that same idea, this box of letters. And as you, as you pick one out, you're like, you know, I... I'll just sort of start at one and start reading. But the one thing to understand is that even though there's these two kind of these boxes of letters that have been handed to you, they both tell one story. And that one story is that all of it is all about Jesus. That as you read letters from this side, and like, oh, I'm looking at all this stuff from the Old Testament about all these laws, it's pointing to a man named Jesus. And as you go to the New Testament after Jesus had arrived, and you're kind of reading through the letters and the, and the back of the Bible, and you're like, oh, this stuff means this. It's all pointing back towards Jesus. And as you read through it, if you don't see that, you're going to get real messed up by reading stuff and, and taking it what we call out of context. So the Old Testament points forward, the New Testament points back to, to Jesus. So as you decide, well, I'm going to start, I'm going to start reading, you pick out this one called Beginnings. You're like, this is an interesting letter. I think I'll start with this one. Genesis actually is called Beginnings. And as you, as you read through it, it talks about how in the very beginning, God created this planet. He created this whole, this whole um, earth and and men, and, and, and created it perfect. And we know that inside of us, we know what perfection is, because we know that intuitively, we know that we've lost it. We're always trying to get back to that. We're always trying to get back to, like, being healthy or feeling healthy. We're always trying to get, get back to this place on the inside of where life seems like it, like it matters, like it's right, to be better than where it is. We, we, we hate things like cancer. We hate things like sickness, because there's something in us that knows it's not the way it's supposed to be. We hate death because we know that, that life's not supposed to end like that. There's something in us that knows. God put that in there, and he started this whole thing perfectly. And then we realized that sin came in, and, you know, Eve chose Apple instead of PC, and, you know, everything is destroyed after that. And so as, as she goes through this thing, all of a sudden the whole planet, everything that was perfect is now broken. And so as you read that from that point on, it's God's mission to fix it. God's mission to restore it. And so as you're reading through the Old Testament, keep that in mind, that this is all part of God's mission to fix things, 
Uh, and, and how did he fix it? As you read through Genesis, you're going to get to a place where, as you're reading, you find this guy named Abraham. And God decided to start with a guy uh, named Abraham. And, and this, is, this is his idea and his plan to kind of restart things with people. The whole planet's broken. I, I mean, God and men, the relationship is broken. It can't happen anymore because of sin. And he says, I'm just going to pick someone. I'm just going to start over. And he picks this guy named Abraham. And he says, I'm just going to start, start the whole thing over. I'm going to try and figure out a way to fix what, what's been broken. And he starts with this one guy. And so with Abraham, he chooses Abraham just because he had to pick somebody. And he says, Abraham, I want you to separate yourself from the rest of the world. I want you to go away from where everything is. Come away. Be holy. Be separate. Stay, stay apart from everything else. And, and I, I'm going to make a deal with you. We call it a covenant. Some call it a testament. It's kind of where we get the idea of the Old Testament. He makes a covenant or a deal with Abraham that's based on Abraham's obedience and, Abraham, and Abraham's sacrifice. And so he says, you know, I'm going to start with you, but not just you. Through you, through Isaac, through Jacob, through your family. Then Jacob had four wives, which we don't recommend. But then he also had 12 children, and this group became, became known as Israel. Jacob became known as Israel, and his followers, uh, his kids, and all the, the bunch became Israel. And we know that this place, he gave, them, he gave them some property, which we know has kind of been hotly contested ever since. But God had chosen this group of people, and he chose this group of people so that he could bring a Messiah, so that he could bring a Savior. And so when you read through the Old Testament, all of these letters and all of these documents and all these things were written specifically to this group of people primarily. There's a few spots in there that aren't written directly to them, but they all kept them. Those documents was, was things that were of Jewish, um, of Jewish uh, history, and it was their, it was their documents. It's what the, the plan that God had. Then you get to the new box. You get to the spot where all of a sudden we get to the New Testament where Jesus arrives on the scene. And, you know, we, we celebrate that. It's coming up. It's Christmas. Uh, pretty soon we talk about Emmanuel, which is like God with us because that was the whole plan. I'm going to come back. I'm going to restore relationship with people. And then Jesus begins to teach them all kinds of different stuff. You know, God kind of gave them these, these ten commandments. He's like, here's some rules, guys, because, I, you know, I've made you part of my family. Here's a whole bunch of, here's, here's ten rules, ten things to help you basically just be nice to each other. You know, every house has some rules. It says, listen, you know, don't fight. You may not hit your brother and sister with that. Those are okay, but not those, you know. Uh, what, it's this idea of rules. Clean your room, go to bed on time. He gave them these ten, ten rules, the ten commandments, because they're part of this family. But then Jesus comes along, and he says, you know what? I'm going to give you some new commandments. And they're like, okay, thou shalt not what, Jesus? Or thou shalt what, Jesus? And he's like, no, no, nothing like that. He says, my commandment starts with this, love. Love. I'm like, that's not a commandment. That's like relational. That's like a feeling or something. Give us a commandment. And he's like, I'm commanding you to love. I'm commanding you to show love to, to uh, God first. I'm challenging you and commanding you to respond by, to love God because of he loves you. Love God because he loves you. That's our commandment? He's like, yeah. And then there's a couple others. Really, it's only kind of two, but in one, in one thing, he says, you know what? I want you to love other people too. I want you to love everyone around here. I want you to love, I want you to love the other followers. Why? Not because they deserve it. Peter stinks like fish. You know, we don't, we don't love that, you know, that part about him. But love him because he loves you. And then he said this, I want you to love your enemies. Just think for a second who that might be in your life. Neighbor. Spouse. Hopefully not. Family. 
But this idea, people have done you incredibly wrong, ISIS. He said, love, love your enemies. And you're like, oh, man, what all of a sudden sounded like it was going to be really easy, love God. It's like this commandment of love, <laughs> this commandment of relationship. And he, and he gave them these different, different uh, thoughts. And he called his closest followers to start something called the church. He dies on a cross. He rises from the dead which had never happened before, and it really basically says that everything that he said, if a guy can raise, you know, predict his own death and then raise from the dead, he probably knows the truth. He's probably saying things that are true. And so as this whole thought, he says, listen, I'm, I'm going to base a new covenant. The old covenant, the Old Testament, it's old. I'm going to give you a new covenant, a new testament, a new deal, and it's not based on you keeping all the rules anymore. It's based on what I've done for you and my sacrifice and you believing in me, and, and we're going to go from there. And you know what happened? This group of people took him at his word, and they're like, okay, we are going to believe in you. We're going to stop doing all the things that were in the laws and, you know, the Ten Commandments and the 600 that we made up to try and keep the Ten Commandments. We're not going to do that anymore. We're going to do this. We're going to love you. We're going to trust you. We're going to follow you. And that group of people, their lives were so changed that they began to go around Jerusalem and, and that area, and they left Jerusalem and went to other areas. And shared that same love and hope with other people, and their lives were changed. And all of a sudden, there's all kinds of people everywhere whose lives had been changed by Jesus, and they began, began to write letters back and forth to one another. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they decided, you said, you know what, there's going to be people, there's going to be people, you know, 10 years, 20 years, 2,000 years from now, they're not going to know they're not going to remember what Jesus was like. So we're going to write down the accounts of what we saw and, and how we lived and experienced life with Jesus so they know what it's like. They wrote it down, and those letters began to go around. Then Paul wrote to these churches and said, hey, you guys, you know, you're Gentiles. It's all of us, you know, unless you're Jewish, you're Gentile. And he says, you know, I'm going to write letters of what it's like to serve Jesus now as a Gentile. And those letters began to go around. Well, all these letters circulated for a while, and then pretty soon it changed the whole Roman Empire of their day. And they decided, we're going to call this our, our national religion. And so they, they translated everything into Latin so nobody else could read it anymore. And then all of a sudden they became the ones who were like going to hold authority over people. About 400 years after Christ, it was all put together. All those letters were put together, and it was put together into something like this. One collection of all of these letters, where we kind of get the idea of the Bible now. But th what happened in that point is that a, a few men were the only ones who could understand. What Jesus had said, what others had, had, had written, only a few could understand. And, and it brings us to this. In 1380, there's a guy named John Wycliffe. Like, okay, this guy, John Wycliffe. He realized, he said, you know what, this is, this is uh, you know, 1,300 years after Christ. We realized, you know what, people, common men cannot read the Bible in their own language, and that's a problem. So he sat down with some friends, and he began to write it out, handwritten, in English. He'd read, you know, from the Latin, from the Greek, and he'd translate it into the, to English so that people could have it. Well, once they found out, once the authorities found out that he was doing this, they took all of his copies, which there was a few dozen copies, they said, and they just burned them all. Years of work, burned him all, banished him to his house where he died of a stroke. Uh, but as afterwards, uh, 40 years later, John Wycliffe, they were still so angry that he had tried to handwrite the Bible in a language that people could understand. They dug up his bones and they burned him and then they threw the dust in the, in the, in the water. They were just that angry at him 40 years later. John Wycliffe had a friend named John Huss. John Huss was a guy who was with Wycliffe, helped as part of that translation of the Bible into English. And, and he... 
he was, you know, so upset by all of this. He says, listen, the common people, you, me, they need to be able to read the Bible in their own language. It's not right that, that they don't have it. And so he began to challenge the church, challenge the leaders to say, they got to be able to read it for themselves. And so they took him and they killed him. And I was like, you know, I was sharing this with kind of my daughter. She came down. She's looking at the picture. She's like, why, why are you looking at all the pirates, Dad? I'm like, these are, they're not pirates. And, and, she's, and she's like, what? I was like, this guy, he got killed because he tried to, um, to, to put the Bible in English. And she's like, um, how did he die? I'm like, well, they put him on a stake and then they burn. And she's like, a stake? Like, you know, like, and I'm thinking, no, not like the meat, but like a pole. And they put him on a pole and, and then they put this wood around him and then they just lit the wood up and let him burn to death alive. Why? Because he felt like you and like I should have the right to read the Bible in our own language. And as he was there at, the, at, at his trial and kind of at the end, he said to them, he said this, the, these words, he says, in a hundred years from now, God's going to raise someone up who's going to find a way to make sure the word of God can be read by common men. It was almost a hundred years later to the day that Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the, to the door of that chapel saying there's a problem with this, the way the church is being run. In 1450, the Bible was first printed. It was printed in Latin, but it was printed on Gutenberg's printing press. His, the first book that was ever printed was the Bible, and it was this idea that we could mass produce or we could help others have copies. In 1525, it was finally translated into English in print form by a guy named William Tyndale. William Tyndale and others, they got around, they made sure they could use, you know, Gutenberg's press to do this. And he was, of course, once they found out that he had done this, they brought him on trial. And he said this at his trial, if God spares my life there are many years, I will cause a boy who drives the plow to know more of the scriptures than you do. It's what he told to the leaders of that day. And so they burn him at the stake. I know, when you think about it, it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. But do you realize... That this book that you have in your hand is because of their work and the blood that they shed so that we could have it in our own language today. It's not just meant to be read. It's meant to be studied. This idea of observing it, of reading it, having the chance, man, it's an incredible thing that men gave their lives for us to have. Do we value it that way? The last two thoughts are these. Interpretation. It's not just reading it. It's finding out what does it mean. What one truth was that one writer writing when they wrote those things? And what, does, what did it mean for them? Not this idea of, oh, I'll just, you know, this, I read it. And this is kind of what it means to me. See, that's, my, you know, that's what a lot of times people want to do as they read through. Because they don't really want to study it. They don't really want to dig in to find out what it actually means. Just like, ah, oh, it's kind of, you know, judge not lest you be judged, right? That, that, that means, like, I don't want you judging me. Don't talk in my life about, you know, you know things that you see wrong. Just, you know, you're going to be judged if you do that. Kind of thoughts. Whatever helps us. But it's like, even I see it in my kids. Like, my son Maddox, he... Uh, he thinks that when I call his name, that doesn't mean anything until at least I've called it three or four times. You know, Maddox, I'd like you to do this, but it means absolutely nothing. You know, it's like, Dad, I just got to do this first. And I'm like, he's four and we're working on it. I heard some people that from our church had shared that their, their uh, kids seemed kind of rebellious until they realized that they couldn't hear very well. And so well, they were like, they said, we call them and call them, call them. They never respond. We thought, you know, we, whatever. So they got their hearing checked and realized that it was simply that. They just didn't, couldn't hear. And I thought, oh, man, this is great news. Maybe Maddox can't hear very well, and this is the problem. So I thought I would try it at home the other day. I was sitting there. I was like, Maddox, 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 Maddox. And he finally looks. I'm like, how many times did I call you? Six times. <laughs> it just means something different to him. 
And sometimes it's that same thought when I think about people reading the Bible and studying the words, like, ah, it just, you know, it means something to me. And we kind of look for loopholes. I, I just don't want it to mean what it means. And yet it's for our good. And the last thing is this application. What do I do with what I've learned? See, there's one truth with many applications. It applies differently to different people. The, as you read the word, it applies differently to husbands, to wives, to kids. But it's still that one truth. Galileo said this, all truths are easy to understand once they're discovered. The point is to discover them, which is kind of brilliant, except that as far as the Bible is concerned, he misses one point. The, tr- the, the, the whole idea of discovering truth is not the whole idea of having the Bible. It's not just that you become really, really smart about spiritual things. It's about the idea of applying it to your life and allowing your life to change. James chapter 1, James, the brother of Jesus, he wrote this. He says, don't just listen to God's word. Don't just observe it. He says, you must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and you don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, but you walk away and you forget what you look like. Some of you did that this morning. Hmm. He says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law, if you look carefully, if you keep looking in and studying, he says, into the law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, you don't forget what you've heard, and God will bless you for doing it. It's this idea, he says, the word God's like a mirror. As you're looking into it, as you're reading and seeing, it shows you who you really are. The mirror shows you who you really are. It cuts right to the heart. You know, it's that idea of, you know, sometimes you look in the mirror and you think, oh, this is what it is, but it shows you what's really going on. And see, the thing is, the mirror doesn't only tell you what's, what you're really like or what's really kind of broken in our lives. It gives, you the, it gives you the power to fix it. Man, wouldn't it be sweet if real mirrors did that? You look at the mirror like, ah, I could stand to lose 15 pounds. You just rub the mirror on yourself and 15 pounds are gone. You know, or you like rub the mirror, you like, you got a six pack? You're like, sweet. It just doesn't happen with the regular mirror. But this is where he says, you know, in 2 Timothy, Paul wrote to him and said, all scripture, it's inspired by God. He's the one who uh, helped men to write it. He says, it's useful to teach us. He's not just going to show us what's wrong. It does. It says, he says, it's useful to teach us what's true. It'll make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It's like that mirror. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. It's that God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. The whole Bible is inspired by God, and it's true. The Old Testament letters, all inspired by God, and yes, they're all full of truth, but they're not all necessarily written directly to you. The New Testament, there's all kinds of letters, and there's all kinds of truth, but it's not all that that everything that you read in there is directly, you know, to be used literally for you. Uh, And and here, maybe I'll leave you with this thought. There's different cleaning products. I don't know if you know that, but there's things called soap and bleach. I know we're just going to go real basic. Soap you wash your children's hands with. Bleach you do not. You know, water you can rinse your eyes out with. Bleach you should not. Um, there's this different purposes for these things. Uh, same, the same idea, um, you know, there's a washcloth and there's steel wool. Uh, one of my brother-in-laws, I won't mention who, thought it was a really good idea. You know, he had all the bugs on his windshield, right, kind of this season in the fall, that thought, you know, steel wool will get those bugs off really, really well. And it did. It got all those bugs off. And then it was thought it was awesome until he sat in his car and he realized he couldn't even see through it because of all the scratches, the sun would just make it a, like this, this haze. And he realized, you know, I, I, I've used the wrong the wrong wrong product for the wrong reason. You know, people do that with the Bible all the time. They think things like, you know what, I've got to keep the Ten Commandments. You know, as a follower of Jesus today, the Ten Commandments is not what he's looking at you to keep. 
I see people like, yeah, you know, I believe that Jesus, I believe in Jesus and I'm trying to keep the Ten Commandments, you know, because they'd be a better person. That's not what they were written for. They were written basically to show people that nobody can keep them. Some you'd say, you know, as you read through and you think, oh, you just kind of pick verses like I'm just going to, I'm just going to literally apply this one and not literally apply that one. It's only the ones that are true. Did you realize that if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find verses that say things like this? Parents, if you have a rebellious teen who does not listen to you, does not obey you, and constantly is causing problems, take them to the elders of the city, and when you bring them there, tell them, this is my rebellious son, and they will take your son outside of the city, and you will join them, and you will stone them to death. How many of you would not be here if we all took that literally? (laughs) For the teen's benefit and the parent's protection, that is no longer applicable today. That was written to a group of people, a certain group of people. You know, as you read, you hear people saying, oh, we got to stay separate from the world. we got to stay holy. we got to stay away from those unclean people. Because that's what it says in the Bible. Come away, stay separate is what he wrote in the Old Testament. In the New Letters, he says, listen, go. Go into all the world. Go shine in the darkness. Go and do this. He says, there's something, something different. Do you know what? The Word of God is nice to be applied to our lives, but applied rightly. Have you ever tried to fix something without having the owner's manual? It doesn't usually go that well. I try and fix stuff, and it just breaks. Like, it, more damage is done because it, I didn't figure out, you know, how that thing was actually made. Well, the Bible is the owner's manual. Yeah, this is, this is my, not my wife's car, but for the women, you know, this, this idea of I'm going to fix it myself. We have one for the men as well. Yeah, that one. So, you know, it's like the, the, the more you try and do stuff yourself, the, the, the more you, you break. And, and uh, you know, it's the same thing. It's funny with cars, but it's not so funny with lives. You know, it's people who do things without wisdom of God's word. They, they, they ruin and wreck their lives, and it hurts. So my thought is, you know, <laughs> there's this cliche thing that says, you know, the Bible stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. That's not really what it means, but basic instructions before leaving earth is kind of actually true. As you read through this as followers of Jesus today, it gives you instruction on, on how to read the word. It teaches you how to study it. It teaches you how to pray. But more than that, it teaches you things like this. How to, you know, uh, who to marry. It'll show you, you know, how to find them. It's not going to say, you know, as you read, thou shalt, you know, marry the girl in the third row because she's blonde and spoken hot, right? It's not going to tell you that. You know, and some people are listening, God, just point me in the direction. Just show me, you know. I'm like, I'm going places, and I'm just going to know that I know. When I see her, it's going to be love at first sight. I'm going to know. It's not what the, but the, that's Hollywood. But the Bible says look for women who have these qualities. Look for men who, who are upright. Look for men who live in, in such a way. It shows you who to marry. It shows you how to find them. It teaches you how to date. It'll teach you how to have the best sex life possible. That's pretty awesome. Nobody else wants that? All right. How to be a great parent. How to be a great child. How to treat women. How to treat men. How to treat the poor. How to treat the needy. How to treat the rich. How to treat your government, whether you voted them in or not. How to treat those who are lost. How to be a fair boss. How to be a good employee. How to get ahead in business. How to have wisdom. How to make friends. And above all, how to know God. This is an amazing, amazing book. My challenge this morning in all just sharing some of this overview is, again, to just inspire you to say, ah, I'm missing something yet. And you're like, well, hey, I'm not sure if I can do this on my own. Don't. Get in a group and say, hey, can, 
you know, let's, you want to you study, the, study the Bible, want to do a Bible study with me? You wanna, you wanna, and somebody's like, oh, I don't know. Ask somebody else because there's enough. I can tell you last night, even after we shared this, people came up after like, hey, we want to start a study. We want to start doing something. We want to get together in a small group. I'd encourage you to do this because your life matters. So grab it. Observe it. Find out what it means and live it. And there's the buzzer. We're done. <laughs> let's pray. Father, thank you for, uh, for your word. I mean that. Thank you for preserving it. Thank you for the men who gave their lives so we could have it this morning. Thank you that it changes our lives and gives us hope, that it teaches us how to live. Uh, Father, I pray that for every person that takes this challenge to open it up again and to read it, that, Holy Spirit, you'd lead them into truth like you promised, and that you'd guide and direct their lives as a result of it, and that their lives might shine bright to the world uh, with hope and with, uh, with, uh, with love, with help. Uh, that others may be able to see and see you in us. We thank you for that. Pray for every person as they go from this place. May give them opportunities to see you at work in their lives this week. Uh, may they give glory to you for the things that, uh, the amazing things that you do. It's in your name, for your glory we pray. Amen.